0: in the league in sacks so I would say so these guys are third overall as a team in sacks the thing that jumps out at you with I I would say defensively with some things they're they're playing really good third down defense the third best in the NFL they're at the top of the league in sacks hurries and pressures all right welcome all you bucking fans to week 14 and another episode of the not another bucking podcast I'm Nick Kosmider your host uh, Broncos beat reporter at The Athletic, and, and today we're um, we're taking your questions. This is a mailbag edition of the podcast as we head into, again, week 14, Broncos at 6-6, six six, heading to SoFi Stadium to play the 5-7 Los Angeles Chargers. The Broncos are looking for their first AFC West Division road win since 2019. They're also looking for their first victory ever at SoFi Stadium, which opened... Uh, in 2020 uh, during the pandemic season the Broncos have lost all three of their road games against the Chargers and they also lost a game at SoFi Stadium last year on Christmas Day you'll remember uh, against the Los Angeles Rams a bit of a blowout that one so so Broncos 0-4 at SoFi Stadium in order to keep their playoff hopes alive they have to break both these streaks got to get that division road win got to get that win at SoFi Stadium got to get that afc victory to add to to your current three and five mark against the conference and go to seven and six overall that's how you stay in the playoff race uh in the thick of it for another week uh lose this game and it is a a massive uphill battle at that point you'd have to win the last four and and get some pretty significant help along the way so um that sets the stage producer cause why don't we jump in and just get right to these uh right to these questions we have today
1: all right, kind of following along with what, what you were talking about with this being almost a must-win. The Dennis asks, what are the keys to beating the Chargers and keeping hope alive for that playoff push?
0: Yeah, exactly. Have, have to beat the Chargers to keep hope alive. Look, it starts with their pass rush. Uh, Khalil Mack leads the NFL in sacks. He's got 15 of them. Matt, you and I were talking before. You said he has eight in the last five games. He has been on an absolute tear the Chargers as a team are tied for third in the NFL in total sacks at 41. So this is a team that gets after the passer um, frequently. That That's sort of what they hinge their defense on. And the Broncos are coming off a game in which they gave up three sacks, but the pressure allowed on Russell Wilson went a lot further than just that number, right? I mean, just look at the final play of the game, third and goal at the eight-yard line, less than 20 seconds to go, and, and he gets pressure at the snap immediately off the left side of the formation, um, turns to him, ends up in him hurrying up a throw that gets picked off in the end zone. Broncos lose the game. So they are going to have to find a way to deal with with what Khalil Mack brings, what Brandon Staley does as a defensive play caller. Overall, uh, I think that is first and foremost. The second thing is the, the Chargers really offensively have, have completely um, built their offense around around the passing game. A but specifically. Keenan Allen, who has um, 11 more targets this year than any other receiver in the NFL at 138. Um, he, he has been kind of their offense. He has 1,200 yards receiving. Obviously, this is a guy who the Broncos know know well, has been doing it against them for a lot of time. Justin Simmons said yesterday that he has a, a Kelsey-esque quality, not in that they're obviously the same player. They, they, they have very different styles, but just in his, turn, in, in his ability to always find you know, the, the space, always get into the zone, even if it's man coverage, finding a little bit of that wiggle um, and, and building that connection with Justin Herbert that they sort of just know where each other um, are going, what what each other are thinking on any given play. That that has been um, kind of really the Chargers offense. They don't run the ball particularly well, uh, only 97 rushing yards per game. Austin Eckler, um, you know, who's, who's been a pro bowler in the past, has not had that same impact for the Chargers this year. So again, finding some way to neutralize that pass rush and then, and then, uh, you know, doing the best you can on Keenan Allen, obviously guy, you're not going to stop him. That that's, that's their offense. That's what he's going to do. Um, But trying to limit him the best you can. And then maybe the best, the the final best way to beat the chargers is to get them in a field goal game. Uh, The chargers are and five this year in games decided by three points or less Um, one more, and they will be um, six would, would mark the, the, most losses in those games in seven years. So um, again, that those those streaks can can obviously go the other way. But but the Broncos, outside of last week, have done a pretty good job prevailing in some of these close games of late. Um, Chargers have not had that formula this year. I think it will be a field goal game on on Sunday there at SoFi Stadium, and um, Broncos are going to have to finish this time in order to uh, to keep it going.
1: Yeah, no, I mean I I completely agree with you that I think the the offense's biggest task this week is definitely Khalil Mack. The the chargers haven't won a lot of games this, this season, but one of the ones that they did was against the Raiders back in week four. I remember watching, watching that game. Khalil Mack had six sacks in that one game. Like he absolutely dominated the Raiders offensive line. And like, that was what, you know, a forced fumble, like that was what led them to that victory. So like that is kind of their formula is getting after the quarterback and Kind of getting that pressure, so I agree that I think that's probably going to be a lot of what this game comes down to. Yeah, can the Broncos get enough of a lead to not have to be stepping back into those obvious passing situations where Khalil Mack is salivating and gets to come off the edge? So,
0: yeah, and and the thing about him too is he's really excellent in the in the, in run defense. I mean, I mean, just his size, the way that he anchors either side of the formation. He'll go back and forth. He'll he'll drop in coverage sometimes. Um, but really his ability to defend the run is key for them too. And the Broncos, you know, it's really confounding, Matt. They, they have been one of the better rushing teams efficiency-wise overall this year. But their their run game in the red zone or, or its inefficiency in the red zone is a big reason why Denver ranks 26th in the league in red zone efficiency. In goal-to-go situations, um, the Broncos are the worst in the league. And, and they have not been able to, to run the ball. They don't get much of a push in that regard. Um, and, and so that, that has been a situation that that needs remedying as well.
1: All right. Now on Sunday, Antonio Gates is being inducted into the chargers hall of fame. Um, obviously one of the greats at that position played tight ends for years, you know, induction into the NFL hall of fame is likely in the not too distant future for him. Um, the Broncos, meanwhile, have not had the exact same production from tight ends that, uh, Chargers have had grown to expect, and Colin asks the Broncos have gotten nothing from their tight ends. Shouldn't they have signed Zach Ertz by now?
0: Um, well done on the uh, on the setup there, Matt uh, Antonio Gates. I'm sure that's going to be a, a pretty neat ceremony that they they put together there at SoFi at halftime. That'll be cool to watch, Antonio Gates. I remember watching him growing up, man. Just he, he was a different cat in terms of his size at that position, right? Former basketball player. Um, you know, it, it's, I'm curious how he would have like wrecked shop in today's version of, of the NFL Um, because yeah, just, just a matchup, matchup nightmare. Um, It's, it's an interesting question. I, I think obviously kind of surprising that Zach Ertz as we sit here today on Thursday morning um, still hasn't signed with anybody, obviously cleared waivers after being released by the Cardinals uh, upon his request early last week, again, got through waivers. I, I think part of this is look, He's a free agent now, so he's signing where, where he wants to go. He, he's made it clear that the biggest thing he's looking for is to play with a contender. Does he view a team that is on the edge of the playoff race and and the odds say aren't, aren't even going to get there um, you know, as sort of a contending shot, right? We know he has the history with the Eagles, won a Super Bowl there with them after the 2017 season, three-time Pro Bowler there with that team. Um, so again, I, I, just think this is more ball is in his court kind of situation and is seeing, you know, whether it's the Eagles, whether it's the, their probably main competition, in the NFC, the, the 49ers who just up the Eagles, uh, on Sunday night, um, you know, whether that's, that's an area that he wants to go. Uh, I, I think, J- uh, John Harbaugh came out and said, yeah, we're, we're good where we are, uh, because Baltimore had been another team that had been kind of mentioned in that way. Um, same with the chiefs, even though obviously they have the best tight end in football, um, you know, overall their passing game needs more targets. So they, they've been mentioned. Um, So it's a great question. You know, certainly I think the Broncos should have at least done their due diligence and maybe did something they would probably have certainly kept under wraps, but maybe did do their, you know, attempt to reach out and, and make contact uh, because you're right. The Broncos have the least production of any team in the league from the tight end spot. It's, it's beginning to become a pretty clear issue with their inability to, you know, to, lean on that weapon in the red zone with their inability to kind of have a lot of stuff done over the middle of the field, um, you know, because they can't create that mismatch at at that position. Greg Dulcich is eligible to come off IR at any time now uh, going on there after week six. Um, And and we started to see him around the facility after not seeing him the first month after the second hamstring injury, we know he was seeing specialists about that hamstring injury, didn't have surgery. And we've now seen him working on the side, uh, which would hint that he's, you know, hopefully for Denver getting closer to a return, but, but there's still no clear timeline on that. So for now, the Broncos are just going to have to piece together what they can. Um, they're trying to turn Lucas Kroll, the second-year player, um, you know, who has been elevated for two games from the practice squad, trying to get him to, to sort of be that guy, but um, he's still looking for his first NFL catch. So they don't have a lot of that. Their, their leading receiver at the position is, is Adam Troutman, who's got 17 catches for, for 131 yards and two touchdowns. And for context, the Lions in their week their week 14 game, or their week 13 game, um, they, they had 148 yards in that one game from their tight end. So um, that just goes to show you what the Broncos are missing at that spot. It will be, regardless of what happens the rest of the season, uh, a major off-season priority to get somebody in that spot um, that can be a consistent target in the passing game.
1: Yeah, when you play in a division where you play against... The Chiefs twice a year. It's it's hard to stomach that lack of production for the tight ends and not see it as a problem for sure. All right. So talking about pass catching options for Russell Wilson. So Travis asks, what is it going to take to get Jerry Judy go?
0: Yeah, you know this has been a major question. um, You know, kind of circulating around Broncos headquarters um, the last you know week or so, or, or really going back over over the last month. Right. When you look at Jerry Judy's. Um, you know, production. He had 51 yards on three catches Um, Sunday against the Texans. Um, but, but, but what more stood out was the opportunities that, that didn't come his way, right? There was a, there was a play in the second quarter where he came free after starting on the right side of the formation kind of slow plays a slant and, and kind of goes across the middle at the perfect time as Cortland Sutton is digging the safety out with his own crossing route on the other side, Jerry Judy comes wide open. Uh, but but uh, Russell Wilson pulls the ball down just a, a beat too soon and uh, ends up rushing for the first down. But but had a had a walk in touchdown for Judy that they didn't see. Th- those are the kind of things that that haven't been happening for the Broncos for Jerry Judy, and it's surprising given the way that he closed last year. The last six games of the season in 2022, he was one of the best receivers in the league in terms of production. Um, he and Russell Wilson seem to have really developed. Um, you know, a, a strong chemistry. Uh, they, they were dialing up deep shots. They were hitting them over the middle. Um, we just not have not seen that that consistency consistency this year. Jerry Judy doesn't have a single game this year of more than 81 receiving yards. And he doesn't have uh, he only has one game of more than 55 yards since week three. Um, it, it has just not been kind of the season that I think he was envisioning for himself that the Broncos were envisioning him to have. But Again, there's there's five games left. This is around the time where he really started hitting his stride last year. So, if you're the Broncos, you're hopeful that that this could kind of be the the, the time that he really gets going, and they need him to because the passing game overall it ranks 26th in the league, 183 yards per game. They just need more, um, pretty much from every component of that of that operation in order to get themselves, you know, kind of moving in the right direction uh, in the passing game.
1: Yeah, you were talking earlier when we were when we were talking about the differences kind of between Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy's production, and you know their numbers aren't that far apart. It's just that every time Cortland Sutton has made a catch, it seemed to be a big impactful catch or a touchdown. Um, so you know the overall production feels like Cortland Sutton with his nine touchdowns is doing way more than Jerry Judy, but the you know the yardage, the numbers aren't aren't much better. So both of these you know big wide receivers, you know their best targets in the passing game need to be producing more if this team is going to have an offense that like reaches the production levels that it should.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. You're to your point, Jerry, Judy, 40 catches, 491 yards. Um, but the one touchdown, Cortland Sutton, 50 catches, 637 yards, but nine touchdowns um you know sort of being being the big difference. If you if you play fantasy football, these two look like completely <laughs> different wide receivers. But um right. in, in reality, to your point, Matt, and it's a good one, they're only 140 yards apart in terms of um in terms of total receiving yards this year. Yeah, they 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 need more they need more for, from everybody. Now the the game plan and I think that was the the frustrating thing about the Texans game. They had the right game plan. Um, th- that secondary uh, highly vulnerable um, to, to deep shots down the field. They dialed up some some really good ones, but countless times um, they missed those opportunities, whether it was Cortland Sutton dropping a pass early, whether it was Russell Wilson not putting enough air under the ball on passes to Marvin Mims, and then later in the second half to Cortland Sutton again, whether it was him missing Judy in the play that we just talked about, and there was a couple others where he came open as well. Um, it was the right game plan, but the execution just was not, was not there. Um, and that was everything. It wasn't on one person. Um, but again, I, I've said this a lot. I think Jerry Judy is is a tactician when it comes to running routes, but it, it sometimes takes time to develop. And, um, you know, they, they just haven't had all those components working uh, in sync often enough this year.
1: Right. And one of the other obvious components to that passing game is is the quarterback position. And that drew a lot of our, our talk earlier in the season when the team was one in five, even when Russell's performing well and coming into the season, coming off, not his best season was talking about, is this going to be Russell Wilson's last season with, with the Broncos, And obviously with them in contention. Now this, this is Russell's team until it's not. So, you know, while they're in contention, Russell's a starter, but, you know, looking forward to the next year, do you think Russell Wilson or so Tom's asking who will be the Broncos starting quarterback next season? So do you think that Russell Wilson has done enough to cement that position? Or is it really going to come down to what happens in the next, uh, next few weeks?
0: Yeah, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a huge question. Um, You know, again, in the last couple games where, where where the Broncos have lost, right, this was their first loss since that week, uh, week six defeat against the chiefs in Kansas city. And that was, that was one of Russell Wilson's worst games of his career. He completed only 13 of 22 passes for 95 yards. He threw two interceptions. He lost a fumble. He was sacked four times. You look back at this game against the, the Texans uh, one where they put a little bit more on him. And and once again, he didn't answer the bell. It was, it was a 57 Percent completion rate. It was three interceptions. It was 186 yards passing in a game in which you, you opened up the playbook and you're, 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 you're trying to, to get the ball down the field. Um, those are, those are the moments where, um, you know, they're, they're really going to have to take a hard look because, you know, the, during the five game winning streak, they largely, you know, had him had him play more of a, of a you know, for a lack of a better term, game manager type role, right? Where they're running the ball efficiently, they're getting him play action opportunities, asking him to be careful with the football and and, and was certainly able to do so. Um, but again, they, they put the game a little bit more on his shoulders against the Texans because that's what sort of their defense, um, you know, the, the defensive film had shown that it was allowing. Um, and And he quite frankly, just didn't get the job done. And so those things are all going to factor into the equation, um, it's its a complicated one, right? We we know that the financial implications are what they are. If, if you move on from him after this season, even if you do a post-June 1 cut um, or, or trade, you're, you're going to be eating significant amounts of dead money each of the next two years, um, and, and that's to say nothing of the fact that you then have to have a replacement. Like, do they believe Jared Stidham is going to be able to step in in 2024 and run this offense more efficiently and more explosively than Russell Wilson has. I I don't know that there's the data, the evidence, all the other things that would suggest to you that Jared Stidham is that guy. Of course, we don't see, we haven't seen him touch the field. We don't see him, uh, what he's doing in practice. There's no real way of knowing how this staff feels about where he's going direction wise. Um, And then you're, you're, you're going to pick, you know, somewhere between 15th, 20th in the draft. What kind of options do you have at, at quarterback? Certainly not the top prospects in this class. So it's all—it's not a—it's not a decision that gets made in any kind of vacuum, right? There's multiple tentacles to this, and that's why I just simply say that it's too early to answer that question uh, with respect to it in terms of who's going to start Week One of 2024. There's just too much more of this story to unfold, um, too many other factors at play that have yet to be decided um, to really say with certainty. Look, I don't think that it's an impossibility that Russell Wilson is back, uh, particularly if he can show over the the, the course of these final five games that, that he can continue to win in the way that Sean Payton is asking him to. Um, because again, it would be much easier from a from a financial perspective for him to come back, for them to add some talent around him and keep it moving in that direction, then reassess it again after twenty twenty four. Um, but the reality is that th- that there's just too much left to be seen to know to know for sure how they're gonna navigate after this season.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> and and evaluating Russell Wilson this last week, one of the things that really just stood out to me was the Marvin Mims underthrow. Cause you know, the 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 thought with Russell Wilson through his entire career, you know, and we talked about it a lot, you know, coming into this season is that he's a guy who had like the best thing he has going for him are those off schedule throws. And then the throws where he's throwing that beautiful moon ball, deep shot that he, he connects on. And, you know, they, there hasn't been a lot of that since the early weeks when we saw some of those, you know, Marvin Mims exploding and going off, but you know, there were, there were some shots to take those or some chances to take those shots. And even when they threw it, it, it just didn't seem Quite as polished of a product as we'd have as I was kind of expecting from Russell, and that's kind of when I expect to see Russell Wilson at his best is when he's throwing those deep shots and like that underthrow to Mims was criminal. He had like five yards on the defender. Yeah, it, know, was it, bad, and, it was more Right, was absolutely insane. So
0: yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that because you know, look, we we know that his his mobility has declined. He still is making some of those off schedule plays. Really. Those were sort of the hallmark of some of the wins during the streak. Was that he was able to still, especially near the, you know, in the red zone, to kind of get free, you know, make the play, or in a two-minute drive where he's getting sacked and he's flipping the ball free. Like the improvisation, um, you know, still has some of that. But when you take away some of the physical attributes from that equation, um, you, then you're saying how how much longer can you depend on that stuff consistently? The mobility is one thing. If you're losing arm strength at the same time, um, that is going to be a, a real issue that they have to, that they have to evaluate. Cause yeah, that, that ball was, you know, was underthrown. whether cause you know, there's times where you're under underthrowing it almost purposely because you see the defender, you know, he's going to have to come back, but that one, just, just put it out there. He's walking into the end zone. You don't need to mess with any kind of, you know, interference equation. Um, yeah. There, there have been times where you, you do question the arm strength a little bit, but again, I just think that there's, there's a lot left to, to unfold. It's a, it's a complicated dance in terms of trying to, trying to make that decision. And I, I just don't think they're diving into that until the season's over. Yeah, for sure. All right. So then the
1: the final question comes from Jen, who wants to know your, your final record prediction, where do you think the team ends up? Nick, is this a playoff team?
0: Yeah, I, I do not want to be the Grinch here on December 7th. Um, you know, as much as as much as we've been watching that movie in my house now with, our, with, our, with your nephew, um, I just don't see them being able to win four out of these next five games, which is, I think, what they're going to have to do in order to get into the playoffs. Look, we, we mentioned what they're up against, even just by going to L.A. this weekend, haven't had a division road win Uh, In however long now, not that that is like, doesn't mean they can't do it. Gosh, they hadn't beat the Chiefs since 2015. They got that done this year. Um, So it is certainly not a task that is, you know, incredibly daunting. The the chargers are a very flawed football team. Um, But, but again, if you don't win that game, your chances of having the AFC record tiebreaker uh, in, in a, in a head to head for the seventh seed, you're not, you're not winning that you would have to hope that you're tying a team, it's 10 and seven that you've already beat, be it the, the bills or the Browns. Um, uh, who am I forgetting? There's another team in there.
1: Those are the only two that they
0: have. The Those are the only two. On. They, right. They had the chance to do it against the Texans. Um, so, so again, you if you lose this game, you, your chances of getting that AFC conference record tiebreaker are out the window. Um, so from there, you would have to win four in a row, which includes a trip to Detroit, um, you know, five, six days later, and and then sweeping sweeping through a schedule that includes home games against the, the Patriots and the Chargers and then a road game at the Raiders. I certainly think all three of those games are are highly winnable. Um, in fact, Denver probably be favored in all three of those games. Um, but but you, I, I just think there's going to be so much where the, they're having to win. And then the, the other question is, if you lose this game, is there any kind of let go of the rope element in terms of you, you looking at it, you see where you fall in, um so I I see them being able to win three of these next five I just you know, I have a hard time looking at it and saying you know they're gonna win one of these next two and then they're gonna they're gonna sweep those last three um I, I just I see it as a a three and two finish that gets them to nine and eight and and you know look that it'll that will come with some significant disappointment that they didn't make the playoffs and they're and we'll look back and we will rue the one and five start forever um but but that would be a position that they get into. It would be their first winning season since 2016. That's not nothing. It would mean that they uh, probably went on the road and finally ended the the streak against the Raiders. That is, that is permeated a little bit. So I, there's still a lot of good to accomplish for this team, even if they don't make the playoffs. Um, but I just, I just see the task is as, as too, as too tall, particularly with how crowded the AFC wild card picture is right now. We, 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 we talked about it after, the loss to the Texans, just how many teams, teams five through eight in that playoff field right now are all a game above the Broncos and have easier schedules the rest of the way. Um, and then the Bills are probably the most talented team right now tied with Denver at six and six. The Broncos do have that tiebreaker. But again, that's a team that has Josh Allen as its quarterback, like, um, and heck, Cincinnati won. Cincinnati won, they're six and six. Um, their schedule's not particularly hard. Maybe Jake Browning can can pull a few more. So there's just so many um, teams in that clump that, that Denver's margin for error really doesn't exist anymore, and and this is a team that you know is is a, a kind of a middling football team. So I like the, the the thought that they'll put together another four and one stretch, even though they've done it right. They've they've gone five and one in their last six. It's it's certainly possible, um, but that's just not where I would place my my guess.
1: Yeah, and I mean even if they lose one of these two against the Chiefs, and you still go four and one there's still a good chance that at 10 and seven, you don't make the playoffs.
0: Um,
1: you know That I think is a very real possibility. Um, losing lose. I think if you were going to pick one game to lose, it would need to be the lions. Cause it's not an AFC game. Um, I think losing any of these other ones is going to make it really, really tough to try to to make this in there. Having said that, I don't think this is the team that's going to take the foot off the pedal and until there's absolutely no chance.
0: Um, yeah.
1: You know, so I, I don't think you're going to see Jarrett Sittim coming in to start until the team's mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. This is Russ's team. You know, that's what yep. we're going to see. So,
0: And I, and I'd be, I, I think I'd be surprised. I mean, depending on what gets them there, if, if, if they, if they get eliminated because of a string of poor Wilson performances, then, then maybe, but I think that ultimately, um, we're going to see him finish out the year regardless of, of most occurrences. I don't want to say it's impossible, but I see him finishing the season. Um, yeah. So I, I think those are all great points. Uh, get kind of one like little, um, you know, it's just sort of asterisk to put on this it would be a uh, game for Broncos fans to watch on, on Thursday night, the Steelers and the Patriots, that, that is a game in which you are, you are cheering for Bill Belichick to somehow dig some old magic out of the, out of his, right. out of his Let's cap.
1: Bailey's zappy.
0: <laughs> they need to be uh, you know, the Broncos could certainly use a Steelers loss that's a team that you probably just ultimately need to have a better record than them um, because their, their AFC conference record is, is better is probably going to end up better. Although if they lost to the, the, the Patriots that would, that would drop that down. But um, yeah, you, you'd uh, as a Broncos fan, you'd like to see the Steelers taken out tonight against the Patriots um, who uh, have had a tough go of it here in 2023.
1: Yeah, as a Cardinals fan, I'd love to see that as well.
0: Cause the, Patriots are one of the few teams
1: that have a better draft pick than the Cardinals. <laughs> right. So, you know, we're all, we're all rooting for the, the Patriots tonight.
0: There you go. There you go. All right. Well that you have your, you have your viewing assignment, you have your cheering assignment. Um, you have your listening assignment, uh, which is to come back after Sunday's game at SoFi stadium. We'll um, you know, Matt will be out there. We'll, we'll do one. We'll do one live after the game, breaking it all down, seeing where the Broncos uh, are after the week 14 dust settles. Uh, Really looking forward to that, Matt. Um, We'll see you out there in LA. Yep, I'm looking forward to it too. Should be fun. All right. And thank you guys for listening. Thanks for stopping by again. Please give us a review. Please tell your friends, subscribe. Um, Make sure that that we are in your feed every week, twice a week, uh, coming at you with fresh episodes. Until then, thanks for stopping by.